So uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 25, 25, verse 31 through 40. We are going through our third value, okay, community value. Been doing this last two gatherings halfway after this week, and then we got three more values that we'll cover uh, before the end of the year. Sound good? So here we go, Matthew Chapter 25, starting in verse, I'm sorry, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So around 360 AD, a couple centuries after Jesus walked the earth, Emperor Julian of Rome wrote a letter to the high priest of the pagan temple. Okay, in that letter, Julian expresses concern that so many of the pagan Romans and Greeks were becoming Christian. And he attributes this to the Christian's radical care for the poor and the vulnerable. Look at what he writes in this letter. It's pretty amazing. He says, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of these Christians as their charity to strangers. It is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and these impious Galileans, that's his pet name for Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone sees that our people lack aid from us. Therefore, we ought to share our goods with all men, but most of all with the respectable, the helpless, and the poor, so they have at least the essentials of life. I claim, even though it may seem paradoxical, that it is a worthy deed to share our clothes and food with even the wicked. We give not to their moral character, but to their human character." I believe that even prisoners deserve the same sort of care. After all, how can a man, while worshiping Zeus, the god of companions, see his neighbors in need and not give them a dime? That's Emperor Julian. So according to their fiercest enemies, the early church's defining characteristic was their care for and inclusion of the poor and the vulnerable. In a Roman society that ignored the poor, took advantage of the vulnerable and oppressed the outsider, the Christian's distinctive care for those who were lowest in the social hierarchy was transformative. It was so effective that the Roman emperor thought 
you know, maybe instead of killing these Christians, that doesn't seem to be working, why don't we try to beat them at their own game? Okay, why don't we try to out-compassion them, out-care for the poor, uh, uh, care for the poor better than them? Let's try to beat them at that. But of course, they, they uh, could not, because while their motivation was self-serving, the Christians' motivation was love. The church was motivated by a belief that caring for the poor was a fundamental part of continuing the work of Jesus. So the value that we are exploring today is honor the least, okay? Honor the least. What do we mean when we say honor the least? Well, to honor the least is to protect, provide for, and elevate those who are most often overlooked and oppressed among us. It is to affirm the core Christian belief that every person is made in the image of God and deserves our love and respect, And one of the primary ways that we demonstrate the kingdom of God, which was our first value, and the love of Jesus, which was our second value, is by our care for and compassion towards the poor and the vulnerable. This is not only a value that we see in the life of Jesus, but one that has been of fundamental importance to God from the beginning. In the Old Testament, the word used over and over again for care for the poor and the vulnerable was the Hebrew word, okay, mishpat, mishpat. Okay, we translate that most frequently in our Bible as justice, justice. Now, justice, both in our language and in the Bible, can have a range of meanings. Okay, two of the most common meanings are retributive justice, which refers to punishing or making payment for wrongdoing, and restorative justice, which refers to repairing the lives and relationships that have been affected by wrongdoing. Okay, retributive justice and restorative justice. Now, one of the issues with justice in our conversations today is that we often separate between these two types of justice. Okay, we practice retributive justice without paying any attention to restorative justice. We punish the wrongdoer without caring for the one who has been wronged. Or it's even worse, when we're all about retributive justice, we can at times end up punishing the one who has been wronged, the victim. Bruce Strom is an attorney who I had the pleasure of getting to know back in Chicago. He left his law practice after a few decades and started an organization called Administer Justice. Okay, Administer Justice. It's a nonprofit that works with churches to provide legal care to the vulnerable and disadvantaged people. There's actually a chapter. Uh, he was trying to get us to start one. I'm like, we have like six people four years ago and, and no lawyers at the time. Now we have one. Um, uh, he was trying to get us to start one, and I'm like, that's not going to work. He ended up starting uh, one at Cokesbury United Methodist in West Knoxville. So there's an uh, Administer Justice ministry at Cokesbury. Um, and Bruce wrote a book, it, it was called, or it is called Gospel Justice, okay, Gospel Justice. And here's how he introduces his book. He says, we all have heard the phrase, you have a right to an attorney. But did you know that this is only true for those who are being accused of a crime, not their victims? 
Without a legal advocate, innocent victims are left to fend for themselves in our justice system. So uh, AJI, Administered Justice Initiative, provides legal aid to victims and vulnerable people who would not have access to an attorney uh, through the state. That's basically uh, what they do. So, um, so biblical justice both punishes wrongdoing, but more importantly, it lifts up and restores those who were wronged. And ultimately, its ultimate goal is to uh, bring about reconciliation between the transgressor and the victim. And what's fascinating about this is that while the Bible talks both about retributive and restorative justice, God is far more concerned when it comes to us, his people, with practicing restorative justice. Okay, here's just a few examples of, of God calling his people to do justice. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3, the Lord says, Do justice and righteousness. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And lastly, Psalm 82, verses three through four. We could go all day with this, but we'll stop here. It says, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. So when God calls his people to practice justice, he is calling them to protect, lift up, and restore the poor and the vulnerable among them. Theologian uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff writes in his book called Justice. He says, a striking feature of how the Old Testament writers talk about justice is the frequency with which they connect justice with the treatment of widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. He calls this the quartet of the vulnerable. That's the term he uses. The widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the impoverished were the bottom ones, the low ones, the lowly. That is how Israel's writers spoke of them. Given their position at the bottom of the social hierarchy, they were especially vulnerable to be tr being treated with injustice. The rich and the powerful put them down, tread on them, trampled on them. Rendering justice to them is often described as lifting them up. The prophets and the psalmists do not argue the case uh, that alleviating the plight of the lowly is required by justice. They assume it. When they speak of God's justice, when they enjoin their hearers to practice justice, when they complain to God about the absence of justice, they take for granted that justice requires alleviating the plight of the lowly. So an essential question for God's people throughout the Old Testament was would they take up God's call to justice? Would they care for and honor the disadvantaged and vulnerable among them? Or like every other culture, would they neglect and take advantage of those who were on the bottom of the social ladder? The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. 
And Israel, God's people, were, were never further from God and his calling on their life than when they failed to take care of these people. This is what the prophets were constantly calling them out for, failing to do justice. When Jesus comes onto the scene, he puts this emphasis on justice at the forefront of his ministry. Just read through the Gospel of Luke, okay, where, where this, there's this consistent theme of honoring the poor and the vulnerable while humbling the proud and the powerful. Here's how Jesus kicks off his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, as well as that, Jesus regularly says that in his kingdom, those who are last in the world will be first and those who are first will be last. This is what Eugene Peterson calls the great reversal where the last will be put first, the the lowliest will be elevated, the poor will be made rich, the victimized will be restored, the oppressed will be liberated, the forgotten will be honored. And so this all brings us to the passage that we read at the beginning. If we are to read Jesus's, if we are to be Jesus's kingdom people here on earth, then how do we join him in doing justice? Okay, how we do justice matters. How we treat the poor and the vulnerable among us matters if we are to participate in his kingdom. So let me just read that passage for us again. Okay, Matthew 25, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we do these things for you? And he says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So how, so, so Jesus I think what's so fascinating and amazing about this particular passage is Jesus identifies himself with the lowly. The people that we hold at arm's length, the people that we'd rather not run into or or touch or or deal with or, or they exhaust us or whatever it might be, Jesus identifies with these people. He says, everything you do to them, you are doing to me. And he goes on to say, just after this, if you neglect the needs of these people, you are neglecting me. By extension, if you oppress and take advantage of these people, you are taking advantage of me. He identifies himself with these people. And what he's getting at is core to our understanding of what it means to be human and why justice matters so much. And that is that every person is made in the image of God. Every person, whether rich or poor, powerful or powerless, respected or neglected, every person is created to reflect God's image and therefore has value and worth and should be treated as such. And when some people are treated as less than, when some people are dismissed or disadvantaged, when people are victimized and impressed, this is a grave injustice to God. 
And a key part of his kingdom coming to earth is to make right those injustices, to restore value and worth to those from whom it has been taken. This is what the Beatitudes, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount over a year and a half, it's what the Beatitudes at the beginning are all about. Okay, value and worth, honor, dignity is being restored to those from whom it was taken. So therefore, as people who are joining him in the work of his kingdom, it is essential that we do justice. It is essential that we honor the least among us. Okay, so how do we respond to this? Just a, just a few thoughts as we close. The first one being, and, and, and really important place to start, we, we need to see the image of God in everyone. We need to, uh, we first need to address how we see people if we're going to move towards justice. If we see others as less, then we will fail to treat them as God wants us to treat them. So we have to be honest with ourselves. How do we see that person living on the street? How do we see your neighbor who's on welfare? How do you view the woman selling her body on Magnolia Avenue in East Knoxville or the man who has been in and out of prison? And I know that there's, there's some of us in this room who have a ton of compassion for those people who are thought of as the least in our society. And I'm sure uh, that there's some of us that really struggle with this. We view these people with suspicion, with cynicism, with contempt, maybe even disgust. If that's you, there's, there's no need to feel shame, but we do need to be honest with ourselves in how we are seeing these people. We need to acknowledge that to both ourselves and to God. We need to recognize that Jesus, who probably has the right to feel all those ways about us, chooses to see us as being made in the image of God. He sees us as we are all created to be, beautiful reflections of our creator made with value and worth and purpose. That is true of every single person that we see, even if it's tainted in all of us. So the first step towards doing justice is, is seeing how others, how God sees them, seeing the image of God in everyone. The second, and the, the worship team can make their way up here. Uh, the second is meeting the needs of those around you. Okay, meeting the needs of those around you. We all have people in our immediate circles who have unmet needs. Maybe it's a neighbor who's struggling with paying some of their bills or a single mom who needs help around the house or, or uh, with their kids. Maybe it's someone who needs a warm meal or winter clothes. Okay, this is often referred to as, as mercy ministry, okay, allevi- alleviating pain or discomfort by meeting short-term needs. And this is a common thing. Like churches do this fairly well. We got food pantries, we got do clothing drives, homeless shelters, benevolence funds. We do mercy ministry pretty well, okay, meeting short-term needs. And all these things fall under the biblical definition of doing justice, but it's only part of what God calls us to do. And that's why we have this third point, which is working towards institutions and systems that promote justice for the poor and the vulnerable. The biblical definition of doing justice goes beyond meeting short-term needs. God desires for his people to speak out against injustice, 
to fight for long-term solutions and protections for those who are vulnerable. And this is what's often called justice ministry. Okay, one of the ways to think about the difference between mercy ministry and justice ministry is like mercy ministry is like taking medication to alleviate pain. It's a temporary relief. Justice ministry is figuring out what's causing the pain, what's the underlying issue, and dealing with that. And both of these things are necessary, but ultimately doing justice requires us to address the systems and structures that neglect or take advantage of the poor and the vulnerable. Churches tend to shy away from this, right? We don't, we don't want to get into this. The politicization of this and all that gets uncomfortable for some, but this is what God calls us to do. He calls us to press into this space. And throughout history, churches and Christian leaders would be the leading voices in uniting and speaking out against injustices in their community. This is something that we need to press into. And I think if we think about aspirational versus actual values, what we talked about a few gatherings ago, this is probably more of an aspirational value. But something I think we need to press into, and and we'll get a chance to do that here in in a few moments after we worship together. But for now, let's just back up a moment. I want you to think about that first point. I want, during this song, you can sit, stand, whatever you need to do. I just want you to reflect. Do I see the people around me as God sees them? And if not, who are the people in my life that I I do not see in the way that God sees them? And, And just ask him to reveal that to you. Okay, that's, that's what we need to do to start. We just need to acknowledge the fact that we do not see people with the value and worth that God ascribes to them. All right, so let's worship together, reflect together, and meet with Jesus together. Right? Hey, everybody. For those who don't know me, I'm Andrew. Um, one of the things that I love to do as a hobby is barbecue. More specifically, smoking meat. Um, I feel like I've hit my midlife crisis at 29. Um, more specifically, the I love the food science and the history behind it. And there's a book I was reading that had a story about in the 1600s and 1700s, there are all these tobacco plantations in the Southeast. Um, lots of inequity, plantation owners, Slaves, slave owners, everyone in the middle. But on this, these few days out of the year, when they had to harvest the tobacco, they all came together because the tobacco was only in peak for like three days. So in order to gather everything, bundle it, dry it, ship it out, the whole community Everyone who's working on the plantation, the plantation owners, the slaves, slave owners, everybody had to work side by side to get the harvest done. And so there was a group harvesting, a group drying, a group bundling, tying, all that. And then off to the side, there's a group, my people, (laughs) barbecuing a whole hog. Because at the end of the day, at the end of each day, they would all sit together at one long table, sit side by side and eat together, break bread and talk. At that time, those few days out of the year, everyone was equal. There was no status. They were all working towards the common goal, get the tobacco harvested, get it processed, 
shipped out. And that story's rattled around in my head because it's such a beautiful picture of God's kingdom on display. And that's what the communion table looks like as well. When we come to that table, there's no inequality. There's no inequity. There's no status, race, malice, discrimination, um, anger. You go to that table and it's, it's equal. We're all just simply humans coming to that table, receiving God's grace and God's love. Um, we come to that table humbled and we leave everything, all of that behind us um, and it just fades to the back. And whether we like it or not, God loves us. Whether we like it or not, he knows us. Um, and anyway, that story to me represents exactly what that communion table is. I'll, I'll pray and then I'll open up the communion table for these next few songs. If you want to come up, grab some bread, dip it in the, in the juice. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank, you for, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for choosing us in our beautiful ugliness and showering us with your love, providing a place, a table that's unlike anything else in this world where everyone can come to it and be equal and we can come and become a little closer to you and shed the things that are not of you and just receive your grace and receive your love. Amen.